This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but Christ remains on his throne. So what does it mean to live in the light of that truth rather than the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, two Christian apologists who believe that true hope and realism go hand in hand. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. Cameron, uh, I got a great slap in the face yesterday, and this this won't shock you, and it probably won't shock anybody listening here, but I I had a great reminder that sensationalism is not new, and that's the topic that I'd like to take up with you, but here's how it came for me. I had a lot of driving to do yesterday, and I was listening to David McCullough's book on the Johnstown Flood, and the Johnstown's Flood, 1889, end of May. Mass uh, historic rains. I mean, un, at that time, unrecorded amounts of rain in, in a small valley. And there was a reservoir that was originally built to supply water for the canal system uh, to make a, an east-west, basically, water corridor across Pennsylvania to connect Philadelphia with the Ohio River and Pittsburgh in the steel industry. So this little valley, massive amounts of industry there. Uh, and then the railroad basically... By the time they completed the canal and the reservoir, it, it wasn't needed anymore because the railroad had uh, usurped it. And so the canal just sat or the reservoir just sat for about 20 years. And then it was purchased by a hunting and fishing club of extremely wealthy businessmen in Pittsburgh. So Andrew Carnegie being, you know, that whole crew uh, who owned this massive dam of a lake, you know, 40 to 60 feet deep, about three miles long. Uh, so massive amount of water. And long story short, I mean, the, just the, the tragedy involved in all of this and the, the who done it and who's to blame. And and it was it was apparently the, the largest national news story since the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Um, when when this dam cut loose and just wiped out 15 miles of a valley of 40 to 90 foot wall of water and debris, just crushing everything in its path. And you have a good deal of, and all communication is wiped out, uh, trains flipped. I mean, entire towns and cities just totally um, decimated is not the right word because to decimate means to reduce by 10%. No, they were annihilated. There was nothing left. But you had a lot of people who did kind of like scramble up the banks. And so there was a lot of eyewitness testimony. And basically, as soon as the world found out that this had happened, reporters started hoofing it through the woods on foot to get there to be part of the first stories. And then they got wires established and you had newspapermen in these rickety old buildings cranking out stories just as fast. Like every single newspaper maxed out on selling. They broke their subscription records. I think in New York, there was a paper that was selling 75,000 copies a day. I think one of the Buffalo papers increased its subscribers by 63,000. And they were just cranking out these massive stories. but they were also having people like lay down and pose as dead people in front of debris in order to get a story. They wildly exaggerated numbers. There was a, a massive um, anti-Hungarian. They're saying that all these you know immigrant workers for Hungary are mutilating the bodies and doing 
terrible things and chopping the fingers off people and stealing their rings and people out hunting Hungarians and hanging them from lampposts and all this stuff that, I mean, wasn't even remotely true. And it took multiple days for all of that to be pulled back. But I think, you know, and so it's a, it's a, just a deeply sad story from every single, and it has, it's so complex with natural disaster and people with a lot of money and political power doing things that then destroy the livelihoods and lives of thousands of people. So, you know, it's, it's a very intriguing uh, tragedy. However, I was, I just, you know, came away from that thinking of, wow, sensationalism, for whatever reason, we tend to think of as a new phenomenon, uh, <laughs> or a new phenomenon. And uh, it's, uh, it's just not. And so I was reminded of that. And uh, here as we're wrapping up another year where the news has been rather excited, uh, exciting and exciting. <laughs> various degrees accurate, um, <laughs> we could look back on this and say, okay, the way in which humanity is processing news, eh, it's not really that different from the way we've done this in the past. But anyway, I'd love to, to chat with on that topic with you of the, the way in which sensationalism is a standard part of who we are. That's a wild story. And I mean, I've been hunting for a long time. You know, you ever have, you hate it, you really hate it when this happens, right? When you have a perfect quote in your brain, but you can't locate the source. And so there's mm-hmm. this, yeah, there's this great quote from C.S. Lewis, of course, right? The most overquoted man probably in, in Christianity these days. See, it's, and it has to do with the nature of the news. And it's something to the effect of there's nothing, you know, there's nothing quite so phantasmagorical as what you're going to find in the daily in the daily newspaper. Something along those lines. And I just thought that was that was a funny comment on your story there. But why do we think it's new? You know, if I take a few steps back, I, I completely buy into that hook, line and sinker. I thought, gosh, well, if you look at the way, for instance, the pandemic has been covered, part of what sociologists and historians are going to be studying for years is the way that this the that, that this was this is in, this is very very serious but you see this high degree of sensationalism and that is compounding the problem but i'm again i'm i'm assuming that that this is a genuinely kind of new phenomenon and it really isn't well and yeah well so what's interesting though is like now we have actual pictures of the scenes during the Johnstown flood coverage you had guys typing out stories, shipping them off to California, wherever the, I mean, on the right, wire. Yeah. And then, and then people on the other end drawing pictures of what happened. Right. So in the newspaper, when you open the newspaper, you see quote, a picture of the disaster at Johnstown, but it's not, it's just an artist sitting there sketching based off of a uh, description. Uh, so in some ways, actually, I would say that's, what was Lewis's word? More phantasmagorical or something. Right. Um, when you, because it was a long time before there were actually photographs that came out of that. So, yeah, I mean, um, of course, and compare yeah. that to the, the hovering drone footage in Kentucky right now of the, of the devastation in the wake of these tornadoes. Yeah. So, but yeah. And, and of course, yeah, the, the, the level, if, if somebody's drawing these scenes and putting, more creative, you know, quote, creative touches. I suppose that adds, that can add another level of embellishment. But it's the same basic principle, though, not not the drawings, but the 
a mass pro- distribution network and headlines that are now you know generating tremendous numbers of readers and subscriber lists are skyrocketing and so this is of course an early version of what we now call clickbait that seems to be happening in in the mm-hmm. surrounding this particular flood that you're talking about so yeah that well, one, kind of, one other difference yeah. just to, just real yep. quick before we go on is that the information couldn't get out fast enough so you had stories of in Pittsburgh of printing presses and news organizations being so crammed with people trying to get in to get the latest information that the work of printing the papers was actually impeded because the masses were basically dogpiling on the news sources physically. I mean, they're literal, the offices are so jammed full of bodies trying to figure out what's happening that it stops the work. Uh, so there is a, the one new, new factor there is that obviously, so the desires are the same. But the ability to transmit now, if that happened, you would have, you know, like you said, drone footage, you would have people taking cell phone videos. Um, so the distribution thing is different. But, yeah, the, 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 the craving of new information is. Part of who we are. Well, and that and the even less noble, the the, the desire to capitalize on tragedy. Hmm. Or just the kind of mercenary spirit that would drive that. And then the readers or the the viewers, so to speak, the audience who support that impulse. It becomes this kind of reinforcing system. So, the, yeah. So there's, there's the f- fiscal capitalizing on it with the information. But then you had people who went and were collecting debris and were selling it as Johnstown souvenirs of, yep. you know, this half of a box survived. Here's a shoe. Here's a mitten from the... Um, and yep. so, I mean, within days you had scavengers and people setting up, there were books published about Johnstown that were available in Johnstown within 30 days of the flood happening. Um, multiple, multiple, multiple books published across the country within two months, which wow. often had zero bearing on anything realistic at all. Didn't and matter so just if people the, were buying them, of the course, speed, right? The speed of... This flood hits Johnstown at four o'clock, wipes everything out, and you have newspaper people saying, we're going to hike on foot through the mountains and the trees so we can be there for sunrise to start getting this story out. Um, on one oh, hand, yeah. there's a lot of responsible journalism that happened there. I mean, so I, I guess that's the frustrating thing for me is there really is a huge story there. Why do you need to yeah. embellish it? I mean, it's and, and so there's a level, it's almost disrespectful in some ways, but it's almost all slightly distracting from. Uh, anyway, well, yeah, and I, I'm glad you said that. I wanted to introduce a little bit of a caveat there because there's a lot of vitriol that's hurled at journalists these days, and I just, yeah, I mean, we're very grateful, of course, for reporters and investigative journalists who get this information to the public. Of course, this is that's really important. I think we can separate some of these bad tendencies from, you know, I mean. It's we're just not going to paint everybody with the same brush here. I think I, I just want our listeners to understand that that's not what we're that the takeaway here from what we've said so far is not, well, the field of journalism is just extremely corrupt or very base in its motives. No, 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 no. And again, I think we pointed this out earlier too. those. So there are some pretty bad things that happen. I mean, the, the mercenary impulse that drives some people to capitalize on tragedy and exploit a tragedy with, you know, gaudy headlines, whatever it is you want to say, 
that's that's one thing. But then there's also the audience who who want that kind of stuff too and gobble it up. And I would say, I mean, that was true of the story that Nathan's conveying. That's true of our age too. A lot of these these headlines, a lot of the clickbait that's out there, it is out there because we could we continue to demand it. So there's oh right we yeah it's yeah. it's supply and demand all the way around absolutely. So I think that's important to recognize. So that I mean, human nature, good old fashioned human nature, remains good old fashioned human nature for better or for worse. What's what? Here's here's what strikes me as an interesting difference here. So the information, I think it's important also to recognize that even with all the limitations that they had at, when when this tragedy took place, remind me of the date, Nathan, 18... Uh, 1889. 1889. So with the technology that they had in 1889, the speed of the information is still incredible, though. It's still going very, very fast. I mean, having a book published within oh, two yeah. months... Oh my goodness, that's this is still amazing modern machinery humming along. But one so the problem that they had though there with with the limitations that they had was that the information couldn't travel fast enough. I think we might say that today we have a different problem. Maybe the information travels too fast. Yeah, and there so are a number let me, yeah, a number of different get... angles for that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let me. So I'll give you a. Um, I'll tell a story on myself of a parenting failure here. Um, so one of our children came home from school, and and they get their daily behavior is charted as check plus, check, check minus, uh, and you have to sign off on the thing. You see their homework. Um, so one of them came home with a check, which the little subcategory there says some area of concern. If you receive it, so I was. I was pretty severe. Like we, we had a pretty good chat about being respectful of our teachers and he just couldn't for the life of him come up with what he did wrong. And going, you know, it's the head down mumbling. Uh, uh, and I'm like, you know, this there's, there has to be something here. So I made him write a note of apology um, because he finally said, well, you know, maybe I wasn't listening very well while the teacher was talking. So I made him write a note of apology. And um, then I wrote a note to the teacher saying, you know, please see the attached note. Keep us posted on this. Uh, we want to, you know, make sure this is taken care of. Um, so he goes to school. Next day, comes back with this big note inside his folder of a letter of apology written from his teacher to him, who said, you know what? I was super busy at the end of the day and was cranking through these. And there was absolutely nothing wrong with his behavior. I just inadvertently didn't put the plus beside the check. And everything's totally fine. And so she wrote a letter of apology to him saying, sorry about that. Um, and it's one of those you cringe as a parent and you kind of laugh. <laughs> at the same time of it but what that goes to show is that 24 hours made a massive difference in what the truth was mm-hmm. in that situation and so when you're talking about kind of the speed element there um i was glad that i didn't ha- have a more severe punishment for him um because i didn't have the full story and so i think that's a little bit and we've talked about this before that so I, I guess the question is, should we be reading slow journalism? Um, or what does that even look like? Comes in. So anyway, I just throw that out there as kind of a, a very recent story in my mind of taking the time to get the story right really, really matters. Well, I mean, this is a challenge that we run into on the show all the time because we are focused on current events. but And we want to try to the best of our abilities to track some of what's going on in real time. 
but they're developing stories and new facts keep emerging and it look you know within sometimes 24 hours something that we said could be completely obsolete or could have been a serious error of judgment or we we just we, we could be dead wrong time and time again new stories are emerging right now that fit this kind of trajectory and it's because there's this largely sort of I mean, there's a there's this intense pressure to form an opinion. We've talked about this on the show before to, to come up with with a clear opinion and to draw some kind of a conclusion. But that conclusion is premature because the news is, is available to us so quickly online. It gives us the illusion or it strengthens the illusion, I would say, that we have it all figured out before something has has reached a conclusion or mm-hmm. before we even well, know all the facts. Well, and the most notable one right now has to do with a certain individual uh, from the Empire in Chicago, because that you know trial just wrapped up. Right. Um, where, I mean, if you go back and look at all what everybody was saying within the day of the happening versus what the rest of the story is there, that's uh, another perfect example of that. Yeah, one, and just one to, thing that the, maybe well, I, just real, you know, just to clarify what Nathan's talking about there, in case you're not following, that's that's Jesse. Smollett, who who did who was actually convicted of of basically a hoax, but when it happened, the, the reason that's a it's a sensational kind of story and it runs the risk of being a distraction in some ways, but it's it's actually quite germane because when it happened, which I guess was that was that over? I mean, was that several years ago now, Nathan? I'm not even remembering it. Was yeah, it I least don't know. Or was it early early this year? I mean, it was it was a while ago, but when it no, it was before the election. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Keep talking. We'll figure it out. No, you're no, but we don't have to figure that out right now. It it happened a while ago, but when when it when the story first emerged that this actor was allegedly assaulted, racist slurs were hurled at him, and I mean, so many people. Online and in all, and you know all in their various spaces rushed to his defense and 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 January you know, nineteen, okay nineteen. See, I knew it was a while ago, and so there were all these. Everybody had reached their conclusion, and if you didn't reach your conclusion, here's another interesting point: if you didn't reach the con- the right conclusion, you were people people were very annoyed with you, but it was not. Things were not as they seemed. And I mean, again, that's a set, that's a pretty extreme example, but the news travels to us so fast that it grants us the illusion that we have it all figured out. And also, here's another challenge, and it goes along the the velocity, the speed kind of lines here. We we also have unfettered access now to reams and reams of information on it too. It's I mean, well, just the footage. We we don't have sketch artists putting this stuff together. We don't have illustrators reconstructing the damage for us we we now see it and we don't have anybody conveying the facts of a shooting these days we see it it's on camera and that also carries with it some challenges on the one hand it's led to increased levels of of accountability it has brought forward a lot of i mean it's been a it's a huge aid in some ways but there are some dangers there too, because we are not all experts at parsing what we're looking at. But if you see something, if you see footage of something, 
you instantly have the sense that you're going to be able to figure it out, decipher everything that's going on, sort through all the relevant facts, and translate it, and have a, you know, give a very clear and responsible interpretation of what you're seeing on camera. And that just is not true. It may look so straightforward. You, you it rarely camera, is. So, well, there are two types of news that require two different types of response. Or I'm sure there are more than two types, but just for this this question here, one is um, information that you know that you need to act on immediately. So there were people in Johnstown who did get a like a two minute warning that basically said "run for your lives," and those people listened and they lived. Um, you don't have 24 hours to decide whether or not that's true. You need to be climbing the mountain, hanging on every bush you can get a hold of, right? So there's that kind of news. But most of the news that I think we're craving is not news that we need to make an immediate lifestyle change based on within 24 hours. So I, does, does that help to split it into types of a tornado warning? Yeah. You, you bet. That means something and go. What Jesse yep. did or didn't do, that yeah. might take a year to figure out. But you know what? There might not be a really radical run for the woods thing that you have to do in response to that story. So is there a way in which we can think through how do you filter and prioritize? We, we almost associate mm -hmm. knowledge with action as if I have to know this right now in order to live my life well, which in some cases it will shape and form your life, but it's not a life or death immediate response. Um, do you see what I'm I'm, I'm yeah. toying with here? How do we sort that out? Yeah, I mean, there's a, well, yeah, there's the self-preservation versus being informed. And mm -hmm. when we're looking at the news, we talk about reading the news. Most of us are going for that second. I mean, there's the heed, the, the tornado warning siren, of course. But then there's also the scrolling through the headlines. To, and really, it's being informed. And also, it's a point of conversation, I think, for a lot of people. There's a huge social aspect to the news these days. And this is probably something that began with the advent of the newspaper. and. That's where it's interesting because the, the the infrastructure of journalism right now is really designed to cater to a kind of consumer model. This is this is the way so much of of what communication I mean, so much of our communication does this now. It's the the driving engine of it is is kind of a consumer model, and I think that's very unfortunate. In some ways, maybe unavoidable, but I think it's very unfortunate when it comes to the news. In fact, I think it's very bad for the news because it means that they are going to, and that's not new. That's where your story is really helpful to hear about that because that, that's not new. I, I tend to think of that market mindset as new. It's not. They've been trying, to, they've, people try to sell you news and they've been doing this for a long time, but they want your engagement. They want your attention. And how are they going to do that? They will manipulate you. They will make it interesting. They will often put it in exploitative terms, rattle it off, get it there as fast as they as they can. And so there's demand for that. So it keeps happening. But also, we are less and less willing to pay for our news. Oh, man. That's yeah, another don't do this to me, but it's true. Yeah. So, I mean, we want... so. It's one thing to rail against the state of journalism right now and say, well, we need better reporters. Well, pay your reporters then. Investigative journalism and good work is really, I mean, it's expensive and these people need to be compensated for their labor. 
And right now, they're just in these, many of them, many of these, these kind of, I mean, you think about the Huffington Post and places like this, they're, they're just, it's just grist for the mill. I mean, they were, they are churning out as much as they possibly can. And so, yeah, the caliber of the writing is not going to be as high and the quality is going to suffer, not because they're bad workers or bad writers, but because they're, they're overworked and they're spread thin. But on the other hand, if you look at a publication like The Economist or The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, places like this that have subscribers, yeah, so they actually, they're, they're treating their employees better and you're getting, you're getting the quality of the work is understandably higher. But I think one way to slow it down is to maybe, yes, actually invest yourself, you know, subscribe, but also read more careful, long-form journalism, which means you're slowing it down again. I mean, that's a theme that we come back to over and over again on Thinking Out Loud, but I think it is so important, especially when it comes to the news cycle. If you really want to be informed, then you sh- you want to be responsibly informed. Well, and part you of that need to get it right. You don't need to get it fast. You you need to get it right. You don't need to get it fast. Fast is nice, yeah, but it's not as important. No, I think I think that's yeah, a, a think good so. point there. Yeah, I was listening well, to a reporter doing a thing on the the assassination of the president in Haiti and like going on coastal places and looking at like the illegal eel trafficking connections and then the marrow, you know, the, the drug cartels and that kind of stuff. And you don't just fly somebody into a country and have them elbowing around with the uh, drug cartels and illegal airports in the jungle uh, in order to get some clickbait. I mean, that that's a serious investment of, you know, risking life and limb and then some serious cost associated with going to be able to do that. So yeah, it's a it's a case of you get what you pay for is is a bit of what you're saying there. Oh, absolutely, and I mean again to on the slow note, I mean one of the I mean think about some of the excellent journalistic work that's been done on the opioid crisis, but it's been a long, long time coming because they've it's it's required just unbelievable amounts of work and careful, careful consideration of facts, making sure that you're corroborating everything. Back check, checking everything. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot, it's worthwhile work. And so at its best, the news can really be a huge aid to the way we, to the way we live. And it can, it can, I mean, it's a real act of service. At its worst, it's just another form of exploitation. And that just goes along again with the human penchant to, act in selfish ways and to try to and in when it comes to the news one of the ways i mean the outworking of that is often capitalizing on tragedy and it is something that is again it's unfortunate but it's not new it may it may be the case that these days it's accelerated a little bit because of the the speed and the efficiency of our distribution networks you know the world wide webs, yeah. the interwebs, of course, but it's not, but that, but the, the basic machinery has been there for a long time. I mean, it's been funny to think about ancient cultures where maybe you had, I don't know, some kind of scrawlings on a wall that, and, you know, I wonder if ancient poets were like, oh, look at how sensationalistic that, that is right there. Anyway, <laughs> going off on a tangent. The, uh, well, so one other element that I wanted to, to bring up about. One one more Johnstown connection here, uh, or 
least one more, is that one of the fascinating takeaways from that is everybody looking at this tragedy, the scandal of it was how could this happen in a modern time like 1889? I mean, look at, you know, our industry is booming, our, our national strength, we're a society of advanced technology. And you had people saying things like, well, I could see something like this happening in China, but never in the United States of America. Um, and so there's this kind of outrage that we could be wounded and that this, you know, was it, it shattered the idea of our um, impermeability or our invulnerability in some way. But it's it's hilarious for us to look back at 1889 and be like, they thought they were modern and on top of the world. But every generation is going to feel that, you know. 130 yeah. years from now, they're going to look back on this time and be like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, I mean, uh, so you've seen there's something there about that in, in human nature that the news then always does seem like an existential threat to us because the bad things that happen seem to be a blow against our idolization of our progress. I mean, people are saying that very same thing about the the virus in North in America right now. Of course, you know, the fact that we would hit these horrific tragic milestones and in, interpret in terms of the death toll and all that how could it's an embarrassment this is the the headlines i was looking at yesterday the, it's an embarrassment that this has happened in north Amer on north american shores where we've had such amazing innovation and when it comes to the development of vaccines but and there are various reasons that 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 is being said but it's the it's nearly the same sentiment that you just expressed and yeah, you're right because it just goes to it goes to show that that we do tend to look at our our own time as we just naturally assume that we're we're you know the most we're in, we're the most enlightened we're the most advanced and therefore none of this stuff should be happening to us and yeah that recognition that it's not that there's a there's a there's a sense in which there is nothing new under the sun here including sensationalism. It's a it's a helpful perspective. It kind of humbles you a little bit. Yeah. So we, yeah, bounced around. I think a lot of fascinating ideas. I think takeaways um, are to to go at something slowly enough to make sure that we get it. And and actually, to be totally honest, I feel like that's usually that's basically all that I'm doing when I preach a sermon based on a scripture passage is make people go slowly through it with me uh, because it's not the speed that you cover it. It's the, do we, do we get what this means? And so news stories do mean something. All stories mean something. Are we getting out of this? What we're supposed to correctly take away from it before we go zipping off to the next thing. So what's the, what's the unique or, or is there a unique element of, what does it mean then to read or listen to the news Christianly? Like, how do you, how does your bigger, con so we can, you know, kind of sit here and do our armchair punditry on the news, but, and, and we can say, well, this is what's wrong. So what are some of the prescriptive things that are helpful for us as we kind of put some um, boundaries on our over-response to sensationalism? Uh, maybe a few pop into mind, but what, how I mean, or is, yeah. is that question too forced? I don't know about nailing down a precise prescriptive list, but I can. It does seem to me that one of the one of the abiding features 
of a Christian posture would be the that we would that w- there would be less overreaction. So less in the in terms of shock, less in terms of fear, certainly sadness, because that's that's a lot of what we see is very very sad, but an overall a sense of peace and hope because there's the deeper recognition that all shall be well. And so I think a, really a, a, a sort of a key feature of a Christian response to the news would be a lack of overreact, overreaction. I would, I would hope that Christian men and women would not be susceptible because of their disciplines, because of their grounding in Christ and his word, that they would not be susceptible to sensationalism and to some of those forms of exploitation that just pull us in time and time again. So how we go about doing that prescriptive? I suppose we're, we're on the, the cusp of a new year here. What if we had a simple resolution to add to, to the others along with the, you know, the exercising, the dieting, and the you know, finishing your projects and finishing that novel and all of that stuff? What if we, and what if we just added slow down? I think many of us have probably already considered that. Maybe we've done that, but let's try to slow down. Let's, let's live our lives in terms of, of quality, not quantity. And that definitely applies to the news. And so that'll help us to stop from being sucked into some of these trends. And I think that will help us as we navigate the often conflicted world of headlines. But thanks so much. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud podcast about current events and Christian hope. And thanks so much for for listening. We, If you are interested in what we're doing, you can head over to our website, www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. If you appreciate what we're doing, if it's helped you, if it's benefited you and you want to give, do you can do that there on the website as well by going to our donate page. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book one of our speakers or make a donation, visit thinkingoutloudtogether.com. And lastly, if you like our podcast, spread the word. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating. It really does help.